I'm Crystal Keating, and you're listening to the Johnny and Friends Ministry Podcast. I love bringing you real conversations about disability, hope, and ways you can include people with special needs in your church and community. And with November being National Family Caregivers Month, I am so excited to share a great conversation about caregiving and marriage with a very special couple, Ken and Johnny Erickson Tata. After 37 years of marriage, Ken and Johnny know firsthand the challenges that a married couple can face when disability is involved. Listen as they share the importance of trust and communication in their relationship and offer practical advice for other couples in a caregiving relationship. They also share how both the caregiver and the one being cared for can take responsibility for their roles in marriage. And after our conversation today, be sure to visit johnnyandfriends.org slash podcast to find a copy of Ken's new booklet, For Better or For Worse, When Disability Challenges Your Marriage. November is National Family Caregivers Month, so it's a joy for me to be sitting down with Ken and Johnny Erickson Tata as we recognize and honor family caregivers across the country. Ken and Johnny, it's great to be with both of you on the podcast today. Absolutely, especially on this uh, month of National Caregivers Awareness thing, so I'm glad you got Ken and me on. Absolutely, I'm excited. This is... uh... This is the most I've gotten a chance to talk in a long time. Oh, come on. Well, I can't wait to hear from you. And, you know, this topic is so important, and I'm so glad that we're going to have an open and honest conversation because it's near and dear to your hearts, especially so because this year's theme is caregiving around the clock. And I mean, so many people can relate to that sense of caregiving around the clock, and truly, caregiving has been a part of your marriage from the very beginning. So I I wanted to start our conversation by asking how you would describe the learning curve over the last 37 years of your marriage. (laughs) Well, Crystal, you said something that was interesting in the opening introduction. It hasn't always been open, Mm. not in the early early days of caregiving, Mm. because there was a communication that needed to be bridged before we got to that point of being honest. Yeah, the first five years, there was no learning curve. It was just flat. Hmm. I mean, our our honeymoon was a real wake-up call. Like, ding, 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 ding. Like, this is a lot harder than you thought it was going to be. And I'm thinking to myself, and I know Ken is as well, on our honeymoon, yikes, we're not even a month into this marriage. Mm. And this is how hard it's going to be. Right. Yeah. No, we realized, I think, at the beginning, for us anyway, that we were going to need other people to help us. At different times, not the whole time, but, you know, just things that we hadn't thought about before, at least I hadn't thought about before when we first got married. You know, just the basic things of life, you know, going shopping and and doing those things where you wouldn't really think about it, but except for the fact now you're thinking for, for someone with a disability and right. made it a little bit harder. I think that uh, when Ken realized that he was going to have to be doing the shopping and cleaning the sink and putting things away in the refrigerator and emptying the trash and taking out the garbage cans and folding the towels and plus the psychological burden of living with a quadriplegic. Um, It wasn't far into our marriage when one night uh, with his hands on his knees sitting slump-shouldered on the edge of our bed, he confessed to me, I I I feel trapped, Mm. absolutely trapped. And I'm ashamed to say that Back then, my response was, well, where was your head on our wedding day? 
Right. What's the matter with you? Didn't you think? Didn't you know how hard this was going to be? You think you're trapped. I'm trapped. I'm the one in the wheelchair. Think about me. I mean, it was so, it, it was so nasty and, and snarky. And as soon as those words spilled out of my mouth, Crystal, I, I, I wished I could have stuffed them back in. Mm. And I said to Ken, who I knew at that point I had wounded, I said to him, oh, sweetheart, I'm just so sorry I said that. That's not me. I'm not like that. Really, I'm not. But um, that night uh, when lights were out and Ken was softly snoring, the Holy Spirit is talking to me in those awake midnight moments saying, that is like you. Mm. That's just like you, Johnny. Mm. You are self-centered. You are snarky. And you don't think before you speak. And you don't have a spirit of gratitude. And you're not looking out for your husband's interests before your own. All those good biblical things that we're supposed to be doing that really kind of get pushed to the surface when you are in a marriage with a disability. The other thing, though, I I think is getting to that point, being able to sit there and feel like, okay, I need to be honest. I need to be able to say what's in my heart. I need to be able to tell Johnny that I'm feeling trapped. I was getting tired. You know, I I had a full-time career. I mean, a a career, meaning we had to deal with that as well since I was teaching high school. So I I had to work around that schedule meant that I had also helped Johnny to you know, with her schedule, doing both and uh, going to school early, but also making sure that Johnny was okay when I left because the ladies would come in an hour after I left for school. And then, uh, you know, when I went through school and came home, had to do my schoolwork, but also then, you know, describing a little bit of, of what we had to do. I had to go Sounds food constant. shopping. Yeah, it, was a, it, was, it wasn't bad. I mean, it was something that I think other couples have to resolve in their marriages, but it took me a while to get to that point. And I, I think you're missing the, the, the hardest part of it all, too, because, yes, you had a career in, in school, but you also often got up at 1 a.m. You know, in the middle of the night to retuck my pillows and turn me on my side, and then often another time at 5 a.m., to again retuck my pillows and turn me on my side, and Crystal, just think—I mean, just even a year of that, or two, or three years. Oh, it's physically five, ten exhausting. Years of that, it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And my husband, in those early years, was getting up and uh, turning me in the middle of the night, once, sometimes twice, mm-hmm. and then waking up at five a.m., showering, and going off to teach school. So this was a lot. Yeah. And and no wonder he felt trapped. I look back now, and I'm ashamed of what I said to him. What's the matter with you? I'm the one who's trapped. Yeah. Uh-uh. No, I think he was the one that had the biggest pressure on his shoulders. Yeah, and, and you know, it was such a disappointment when I sat there. I, I didn't know what kind of reaction I was going to get, but when I got the reaction I did from Johnny, it, uh, like, shut down the communication a yeah, little bit more. Yeah, you were trying more. to be open and honest, and yeah, it wasn't and then, well, well it, received. Yeah, I mean, why would anyone want to share something right. and then know that it's going to be turned around into a negative. And so there was, there was that in terms of the learning curve mm-hmm. uh, in that early portion of our marriage. Mm-hmm. But then, as we continued to grow in our um, journey of, of life together, realizing that when I said something like, I'm just getting, I feel trapped or I'm tired, it was an attack on Johnny. 
but you know the disability had its drawbacks and one of the drawbacks was you know as Johnny has already described it it created a situation where one would get tired and I I did I just got tired and so I just needed to share that with her even even though our first 5 years were pretty tough and challenging there really were many many fun moments we were young then we were in our 30s and my husband, bless we were his young. heart, yep, would uh, we'd go tent camping up in the Sierras. No way! Yeah, I'm talking about the quadriplegic in a sleeping bag on a cot in this ice cold, freezing that. summer night weather. Oh and, man! And did uh, you have people come with you to that? Yeah. Yeah. What was it like to have that great adventure, but also have people helping out? Well, it was also a little bit of getting used to as well because. You know, for the most part, we didn't have our privacy. But once you get your, you know, past that, it was still an adventure that Johnny and I shared together as a couple. And she's right about the tent camping. I mean, we were in the tent by ourselves, although somebody helped me uh, to get Johnny in position. But you know, it was crazy. I can't I mean, believe we did that. She was washing. Her, that. She was washing her hair with her head over the edge of the edge cot. Of the cot Ice and, cold spring water. <laughs> oh man! And it was freezing cold at night and. You know, I had a down sleeping bag so I could, you know, get in a position where it was warm. But, you know, there was just something about sitting around the campfire, having marshmallows, and, and singing little either hymns or camp songs, and then having to go to bed in the freezing cold. Yeah. So one night, our friends, one of the set of friends who were there, who also, by the way, had a disability, they rented a townhouse down in town, uh, not too far away from the camp. And said, would you like to go and wash up down at the, our townhouse that we rent? And we said, oh, okay. And so we went down there and we took a shower and, and cleaned up. And Johnny cleaned up. And, ooh, this Look is kind of nice. And then <laughs> now we're all clean. Yeah. But we're thinking, ooh, now we got to go back to the camp. <laughs> Cabin is an upgrade. So we, we eventually went condo camping. <laughs> Is that called glamping now? Yes, I don't know. I guess, but it was great because we, you know, get up in the morning, you know, from our nice beds and warm rooms, and right, and go up to the campsite, and they'd have that bacon sizzling on the frying pan, and (laughs) I mean, you get all the the wonderful parts of camping, and and doing all the things during the day, and then going and having s'mores at night, and then afterwards. Okay, everybody, we're going to go now. And we go back to our townhouse. <laughs> go, to the, go to the condo. But, you know, and, and, and after those first few years of marriage, five years of marriage, we began to see the disability as something that was driving us together. Mm. Um, for instance, uh, dinner parties. We, we just didn't know how to manage dinner parties in other people's homes. Right. Because often I'd get stuck in the hallway because I didn't quite fit in the kitchen yeah. where everyone was fixing dinner. All the girls were helping out and, you know, passing out hors d'oeuvres. And I didn't quite fit in the living room where all the guys were gathered around the TV watching football. So I was kind of in a no man's land in the hallway. Right. And then we would have to often leave a dinner party early Mm. because to put me to bed at night is a two-hour routine, Mm -hmm. you know, getting undressed, getting to bed, doing my toileting routines, and it just takes a long time. So Ken and I would have to, you know, say goodbye early. And so we felt a little socially isolated. Mm. And I think it was in those early days that we realized, oh my goodness, we're different than most couples, Mm -hmm. but we're going to believe that God is going to 
create an asset in our marriage Amen. through this disability. Somehow, he's going to show up best in our weakness. And so, I, I think you know the, the struggles, the trials, the, the the hitting heads, knocking heads, unmet expectations, right. bruised feelings, all those things revolving around the disability yeah. began to drive us together rather than push us apart. Right. And we sought God earnestly. That's so good. You know, Johnny, I've heard you say to me, marriage is so hard, especially when a disability is involved, which is why we need to press into God that much more. But Ken, I'm just, I'm interested to ask you, what what's helped you to manage some of the extra responsibilities in your marriage due to Johnny's physical limitations? Well, I, I, I think what you said about pressing into God, realizing that He is our guiding force. Right. And, and uh, Colossians 3.23 says, Do your work heartily as unto the Lord, not as unto men. Mm. And, uh, you know, that, that is, that's huge because if you realize that we are doing our work for the Lord, and I just happen to be married to someone with a disability, it changes the perspective on mm-hmm. how we deal with things. I think as Johnny and I have grown together as a couple, you know, the one thing I love about Johnny is her love for Jesus. And, yes. Uh, Which is why when young couples ask about marriage and they're considering marriage, and one of them is in a wheelchair or has cerebral palsy or some other disability, we're not quick to encourage them. We have to challenge them. What is your relationship with Jesus Christ? Mm. How deeply do you depend on him? Mm-hmm. How urgently do you need him? Mm. Do you require him? Are you, is he the center of your life? Because once right. you get married, boy, it, it's going to be a challenge, and you're going to need to keep your focus on the Lord Jesus, as Ken just said from Colossians, do your work heartily, not for the praise of men, but do it with your focus on Christ or else you just can't get through. No, you have to have that foundation. And you know, it's good that you bring up marriage because sometimes in the Christian world, we think of traditional roles within marriage. And so Johnny, I'm curious to know, did you have to deal with the reality of not being able to fulfill the traditional roles and responsibilities of a wife? That was pretty hard at first, hearkening to those first five years, 10 years of marriage. You anticipate marriage. You, 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 you imagine yourself whipping up an omelet, rubbing your husband's back, folding his towels, ironing his shirts, you know, welcoming him at the front door, throwing yourself into his arms. Oh, my man, I love him so. He'll <laughs> never know. You, you got these romantic images of what marriage should be like, mm-hmm. and then suddenly you realize it's, it's not like that at all. Mm-hmm. It becomes visceral and gutsy and, mm-hmm. and hard and challenging mm-hmm. and... I began to see that the best way I could bless my husband and strengthen our marriage was not necessarily in rubbing his back or or whipping him up an omelet, but affirming him as a man. We're told to do that as women anyway. Wives, respect your husbands. Husbands are to love their wives, but wives are to respect their husbands. So I decided to look for and search out those tiny little Christ-like qualities in my husband's character that I could nurture with my words of affirmation. Mm. Not empty flattery, Mm -mm. not romantic compliments, but looking for those characteristics in him that I thought, wow, Ken is awesome. That is a fantastic quality. Mm. And so I would say to him, sweetheart, I thought that was so wonderful the way you went across the street and talked to our neighbor Mm. and, and really helped him. 
and took in his garbage cans when you knew he was sick. That was quite a gift of sacrifice on your part. That really shows compassion. God bless you for that. Any husband would love that. Sure they would. And you don't have to even have a disability in the mix. But I, I began to see slowly, Crystal, that I could best serve my marriage and steward the marriage well mm-hmm. and encourage my husband with, with, by affirming him, by right. respecting him, yes. and by doing as much as I could for myself without having to depend on Kim. I mean, it's my responsibility to manage the various girls who assist me. It's my responsibility to order supplies. I'm the one who insists that he takes breaks, arranging for extra help so that, so that he can actually take those breaks and go mm-hmm. on his fly fishing trips. And, and, and I love to instigate prayer in our marriage. Ken Tata, let's pray about that. Okay, stop. Did you lose your keys? Have you prayed about it? No. Come on. Come on over here. Hold my hand. I can't feel it, but it looks good. <laughs> hold, hold this hand, and let's pray about those keys. You know, just finding ways to build, edify, mm-hmm. strengthen our marriage. And you end up not only being God's agent of change for your husband, but you end up having your own heart change. Your perspective, your values, your priorities begin to shift more toward God and toward the other person. You start really living out Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. Do nothing out of vain conceit or selfish ambition. Mm-hmm. Like, why aren't you paying attention to me? And you never tell me that. And you talk to your guy friends really wonderfully, but you never talk to me like that. Forget that. Leave it behind. Don't do things out of competition, but think of the other's interests before your own mm-hmm. self. And Boy, that really does strengthen marriage. So I, I, I began to find fulfillment as a woman by just affirming and respecting my husband, mm-hmm. cheering him on, being his best helper, just applauding him from the sidelines. Well, and doesn't that help you to maintain your role as a wife rather than Ken's patient? I mean, one of the things that Peter Rosenberger said on our conversation about caregiving, we try to make the distinction between your role as a spouse and your role as a caregiver. And he said, A caregiver is someone that you can pay for them to do certain things, but you cannot pay for the role of a husband or wife. And I feel like that's what you're saying. You can still maintain that love and that intimacy in the way that Christ would want you to live. And now what? Almost 38 years later of marriage, I could start crying if I really talked about how much I love this man, how much I respect him, and all the good things I see in him. Our marriage is so rich and deep, and tender, and poignant, and intimate, and never in those first few years of marriage would I have dreamed that God would use our disability in such a way as to press us up against one another, meld and melt our hearts together in this sweet union that I never thought possible, but the disability is what God used to make it happen. And you're nodding your head here in agreement. Well, I want to add... You know, when Johnny was talking about disability, she may have the disability that's the physical disability, the visual disability, but I, I have a disability. I have disabilities. I have multi-disabilities in terms of uh, emotionally and, mm-hmm. and a few other things uh, included. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we're dealing with each other's disabilities. And mm-hmm. uh, I think, you know, as Johnny was indicating, she's my biggest advocate. She affirms me in things. I know, you know, after this, these many years, these 37 years going to 38, you know, I, I, I trust Johnny. And I think she trusts me in terms of what I say. But there are times where, you know, if, you know, we're having a discussion or borderline argument uh, where Johnny will say, you know, we need to stop and pray. You know, we just need to stop and pray. 
you know, I, I need that type of encouragement. Mm. But I also know that, that she is always looking out for me. Uh, as she said, you know, it's her responsibility. She'll find people to help. You know, just recently I went on a trip with some guys and, and um, you know, it was Johnny who I, I, I don't necessarily go to her when these things happen. She knows that, that there's some, a group of Christian men that I've spent time with and so she would be the one to recommend, you know, why don't you go on that trip? And I said, ah, but no, she's the one who, who you know, is the the advocate and for me to to be able to do something like that. And I come back so much more refreshed. And, and it's a hard thing for caregivers, I think, to have that time, the opportunity to, yes. to just get away for a little while. Not something that we knew right at the beginning of our marriage, mm-hmm. but as we have grown older and hopefully wiser, we realize that you need those breaks. Uh, it's not because you don't love that person. If anything, it's just a, a refreshment time. And Johnny needs right. those refreshment times as well. So, yeah, no, she's she is absolutely 100% the person that I know is looking out for my best interests and praying for me always. Yeah. We talk a lot about caregiver burnout. I mean, that's kind of the things that we get into the response department is people saying, I feel burnt out and I feel guilty about it. Would you say that getting away is kind of the best way to oh, yes. get respite? Uh, I have to say, Johnny, just the fact that you would encourage and allow, allow is not the right word, but like really be excited for Ken to get away. That's a unique dynamic. That's not true in, in some relationships. Well, it could be kind of threatening. I mean, there was a time again in our early years of marriage when Ken would go on a fishing trip where I'd feel threatened I feel frightened. Who's going to take care of me? Nobody does it as good as my husband. Right. But I think God revealed to me that I was being a clinging vine. And I think sometimes um, spouses who have disabilities tend to project their needs onto their spouse when only God can meet those specific needs. And I don't expect Ken to do for me what only God can do for me. And so early on, I learned to think of myself as a football. Um, I know it's kind of a strange thing to say, but <laughs> when Ken would go on these fish trips, sometimes he would call and say, sweetheart, I'm missing my flight. I'm going to be delayed a whole day. And then I'm thinking, okay, how am I going to do this, God? Mm-hmm. Your everlasting arms are going underneath me. You're not going to drop this football. Mm-hmm. So then I have to call one girlfriend who can come and get me up that morning, but then she has to leave because a neighbor of them will come and fix me lunch. Oh, but then she must go. So then I arrange for another girl to come in until dinner time, mm-hmm. and another friend will come and do that. And then another friend mm-hmm. stays overnight, and I've got to arrange all this. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of fun because it could be threatening. It could be frightening. Mm-hmm. It could bring out the worst in me, but I think this is a great way for God to strengthen my confidence in him that Mm. he's not going to drop the football, Mm. that I will be passed safely onto the next person who's going (laughs) to empty my leg bag and wipe my nose and fix my lunch and all those good things. Besides, when Ken goes away, I kind of have fun too. I get together with my girlfriends and we go to lunch, check out the sales at Nordstrom's, you know. I, I have to interject for just a moment. Football. Yeah. You think of yourself as a football? Yes, I do. Well, you're a very cute football, but I, I just have to say, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking, remember, I was a football coach in, in, for a number of years, and and uh, I just can't think of you as a football. Well, it's all behind the scrimmage line, and I'm, I'm only passed laterally. And, it, you know, it's one of these things where... No, 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 no. See, that's where it falls down. Because, you, you know, a forward pass... 
you're not being lateraled, <laughs> meaning you're just behind the lines. You're out there the in line, the I'm front. I'm behind the scrimmage line. You're scoring touchdowns. Right. In your life, you have scored touchdowns. <laughs> and I, I mean, you know, I'm sorry, just the football doesn't, doesn't yeah, get no, it for the me. whole point about the metaphor is and I when don't... it bounces, it doesn't bounce up and down. It kind of bounces in different directions. Well, that's it. I don't get bounced. I don't get dropped. God's everlasting arms are underneath me. Amen. And it just it just teaches me to be flexible, and it teaches me to depend it upon God. And I think it's kind of fun to have this. Okay, what's going to happen next? Uh, mentality about about my personal care routines and who's helping me. That's so and, good. And you do not drop the football, Ken. You're, you're good that way. Well, I, you know, there's so many other facets of football, but I, I get what you're saying, and, and it's, it's true. I mean, you know, you are so good about making me feel confident that if something, you know, if, if, if I was delayed on getting back uh, early enough that you would have it already taken care of. So that's a good confidence. I do not want you to have to worry about my personal care routine. You do so much already. I feel like it's my responsibility to arrange for that help and not have to you know, run to you and, oh, what's going to happen, Ken? Don't go fishing. I don't have any assistance. Well, you know what? Go fishing. I'll find somebody. And, um, but I wouldn't go fishing if you, were to, if you were the kind of person who says, oh, Ken, I don't know if I can do this by myself. You know, I, I don't know. There is that part of it that, that uh, because... I feel confident that mm-hmm. you, all over all these years that you will have the right help uh, while I'm gone, that I can be very uh, comfortable in, in being able to go. Yeah, and it strengthens our marriage. It really. If I were the clinging vine, I think that would only unravel the cords of trust and compassion that it's taken so many, many, many years to weave. But I also want to make sure that we give credit where credit is due and that is the fact that we both love Jesus. And if it wasn't for that fact, I, I don't think any of this would bond. You know, it's, he, yeah. he, he's the the uh, the glue that keeps us uh, on our focus on on the you know the right track. Crystal, you and I have talked about marriage. We have. Yeah, you're single, and I pray for your whoever your husband might be way out there. But um, all marriages basically struggle with the same problems. It's just that a disability exacerbates those problems. A disability right. kind of holds a magnifying glass up to the unmet expectations and right. bruised feelings and makes them look so much more, you know, so much more worse. Mm. And and so that's all the more reason to be running to God for supernatural help mm-hmm. because you're in a situation which is far beyond yourself to deal with. Right. You need outside help. You need the Lord Jesus. We do. You need to be convinced those everlasting arms aren't going to drop the football. That is so right. And we can can be an opportunity to really know him in an intimate way yep. and to see his faithfulness. And I think you testify of that over and over again. But I want to go back to marriage. Actually, we just got an email from a young man who suffered a brain injury, husband, has three kids, and he's seeing a counselor. And the counselor actually reached out to us saying, you know, I'm wondering how he can continue his intimate relationship with this significant disability. And I know this is a sensitive question, but what are some of your thoughts when it comes to preserving and protecting the intimate relationship when disability is involved? Well, I think when there is a disability, a physical disability, there are going to be varying degrees of intimacy, whether or not um, a couple with a disability can consummate their marriage in sexual intercourse, that, that may be very doable. And I have many friends with, with uh, disability in their marriages that can do that. Others perhaps 
can't quite, quote, get that on. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have to learn to adjust to varying and lesser levels of physical intimacy. But if we are to trust God, the less the physical intimacy, the greater the potential of a spiritual and an emotional intimacy. Mm. You know, God never takes something away where he does not fill that with himself and more, much, much more than we ever dreamed imaginable. So, Ken and I, uh, because of my quadriplegia and because of actually because of our age as well, don't enjoy the kind of physical intimacy which we used to mm-hmm. in the early years of our marriage. But if that has been taken away because of physical limitation then we trust God that he will supplant it with something greater, a a deeper, warmer, more poignant spiritual and emotional intimacy. Mm. I did the Johnny movie, and there was a line, a script in the movie, where uh, I said to my sister upon a breakup with a boyfriend, well, there's more to romance than what happens below the neck. Mm. And when I said that, it was just a line in the Johnny movie. But over the years of marriage, I realized that is so true. Mm. There's more to romance than what happens below the neck. Sometimes I am so darn in love with my husband, and I feel such such a romantic draw to him that I, I could just cry. And it doesn't often happen over a, a nice dinner with candlelight and roses. Sometimes it'll happen in a hospital when he camps out on a cot next to my hospital bed while I'm in there for nine days with pneumonia. And when I hear him softly snoring on that cot next to my hospital bedside uh, with a code blue ringing down the hallway at the other end of the Mm. hospital, I'm thinking to myself, I love this guy. Mm. I love him so much. And it's just, it's so fulfilling. I can't quite describe it. So, yeah. I, Isn't I, that the way God intended marriage to be? Mm. It's the sacrifice. Mm. It's the deep love. When you think about it, sexual intimacy, the whole point of it, is not mainly to get pleasure. It is to give pleasure. That's the point about sexual union. And so, if a physical limitation might limit that in some way, there are all kinds of creative ways we can give pleasure to our mate. And it, again, because God might, quote, take away what once was, he will give back so much more if we would but yield to him and his ideas and his creative thinking and find ways to give that, that special pleasure to our mates. Because mm-hmm. um, I know that there are times where Ken looks at me and I see it in his eyes. I just, you know, he just, he just loves me. He's just, it's just full of love. Uh, it's absolutely true. And I think, you know, one of the things as Johnny was talking about intimacy, it's interesting how our society defines intimacy. You know, yes, I mean, going into marriage, you have your preconceived notions of what intimacy is supposed to be about. Yeah, you know, there's a learning curve involved in that as well. But as we have gotten older, as Johnny mentioned, there's so many more ways of showing intimacy and, and experiencing it, not feeling like you're, you're missing out on something. You know, if anything, we have intimacy in ways that that we didn't have when we were first married, and and it is something that is rich. And rich, that's a good word. Yeah. Well, Ken, you wrote a great booklet that we are featuring for better or for worse, and in it, you you quote Johnny. So can I read this quote? It's just too good. The world tells you that intimacy is forged in moments that are perfect. You said. 
you said this, and sunsets and vacations and the life you've, you're entitled to with your spouse or beloved, but the reality is kind of the opposite. It's in the trenches, the terrible suffering, the hard times you never saw coming. That is actually where the intimacy comes from. I've seen it in my own story with my husband, how valuable it is to cling to each other in the seasons of deep suffering. When you and your spouse can cling to each other and to Jesus, it changes your response. The reality is that you are given an opportunity when you suffer to love each other differently and very well, not in spite of, but because of what you're living through. And I just think that's so beautiful. Well, I want to say this, uh, Crystal, and and absolutely— that quote is is spot on when it comes to where Johnny and I are right now. Back in 2010, Johnny was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, the reason I bring that up is because uh, during the, the chemo and the other visits to the doctors and so forth, coming home on the freeway, we we're discussing a, a little bit about you know what suffering's all about. And I think it has a direct correlation with what you're you're saying because suffering isn't you know those easy breezy times where uh, you know you get that that mountaintop experience and you feel great. It's when you can find Jesus and and that intimacy with your partner during the times of suffering, the times that are difficult, the times that are hard. And I think you know for us, for Johnny and I. And we can't speak in terms of for everyone, but it has brought us so much closer together. It's, I think, taken us to another level of how much we love each other. You know, in fact, I, you know, I just kind of tear up a little bit thinking about it right now. And, and uh, it, it's so true. We've been given this gift, this wonderful gift. And for, for people who have never experienced it before, Sometimes they never get a chance to experience it, and for that, I'm I'm I'm, I'm sad for them because this is something that is a God-given gift, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a real privilege to be able to to say that you know that God has given this us this chance to experience this love for each other. That I, I you know forget the intimacy part, forget all the other part. This is so much better, and it's always fresh. Here we're coming up on 38 years of marriage, and it's fresh, and it's exciting, and it's new. That's amazing. It is amazing. It's amazing. Like, okay, Ken just got home from Honduras on a fishing trip this weekend, and I know he's coming home, so I'm thinking, what can I do to surprise him? What can I do to really welcome him home? So I went over to the Tommy Bahamas store, and I found something on sale, and they packaged it up nicely, and I got his favorite bag of popcorn, and I I got one of his uh, photos that he had texted me, and I quick went to FedEx and printed it and got a little frame from Target. And, you know, it wasn't expensive, but, you know, with, with a little, you know, bouquet of flowers, I, I, I set everything on his bed and just fluffed it up just nice and had a little gift bag and, and a little welcome home card. And, and it was a surprise when he comes through the door. I'm glad I'm still doing that after 38 years of marriage. Absolutely. And it makes it fun and fresh and new and and Ken dropped everything and gave me a big hug. Oh, sweetheart, you're always thinking of me. Well, I was excited to be home. Yeah, home is wherever you are. It doesn't have to be a physical place. It can just be a, a you know, it could be an emergency. <laughs> I don't. I would not expect everybody to believe this, but it could be in an emergency room, you know, just like it was a year ago. You know, that was where home was. And, the emergency uh, room, yeah. Yeah. Because and, and you were together. Because we were together. 
Well, you know, we've been mainly talking about caregiving as it relates in marriage, but can both of you speak to those who are caring for elderly or disabled parents, or of course, parents who are caring for their children with special needs? The person that God has you caring for, it's not a detour. It's not something to do on the sidelines until you get back to, quote, normal life. The detour, that, that's the main road. That, that, that's the highway. Um, the person that you are caring for, that special needs child or your husband with a disability or your parent, um, for Ken, caring for me, that person is the most important person in your life. In, in relationships where you are pressed up against each other to meet needs, God has designed that and done that so that this person for this time is, is the most important person in your life. Mm. I mean, in my own life, for instance, Crystal, I, 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 I travel, I speak, I, I write books, and I, I'm on interviews, and, and a lot of people know me, and I know a lot of people. But of all those things I do and people I meet, Ken is the most important person mm. in my life. It's not Johnny and Friends. It's not family retreats. It's not the Wheels for the World outreach, although these things are wonderful. Mm -hmm. The most important role I have on earth is to help Ken, to encourage Ken, to affirm Ken, mm -hmm. to defend his reputation, and to not cast a bild light on him, not sow any seeds of discord about him, but to build him up, edify him. And, and I think if we could only have that perspective about that elderly parent we're caring for, mm -hmm. or the special needs child, this is who God has you caring for right now, and it's not a detour. This is the main thing. This is the main person. And as Ken just said of that verse earlier in Colossians, you know, do your work heartily, not for the praise of men, not to hear them say thank you, because they might not even say it, mm -hmm. but to do it for the Lord, because you are accruing for yourself an eternal weight of glory that will far, far outshine the inconveniences of having to care give down here on earth. Yeah, caregiving here on Earth. I mean, you know, John, you're absolutely right, John. And I, I think that uh, sometimes, you know, I like to think. First of all, God doesn't make any mistakes. If someone is caregiving for their their elderly parent or someone like you know that's not a spouse, I think of Romans twelve eleven. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he received the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. I think it's just a, another demonstration of our love for Jesus by serving and helping our elderly parent or someone else who might be a family member. Or it's a visible way of showing you know, just how much we really love him. That, that person is your wounded, wounded man by the side of the road. You get to be the Samaritan to that person. Mm. That person is the uh, widow giving her a little bit of a mite in the temple. And you get to applaud that person. It's, it's, the, it's the least, the last, and the, those that uh, are helpless. If you invest in them, you are doing as Jesus would have you do. You are doing what Jesus would do. In fact, you are serving Jesus because he said in Matthew chapter 25, you know, those who fed me, clothed me, visited me, helped me, you know, enter the kingdom of your master, enter into his happiness and in his joy. Uh, you were faithful in that one thing, and now I'll put you in charge of many things in heaven. So learn to look at that person as, as though you were serving Christ himself, mm -hmm. which indeed you are. Mm. Yeah, and as a caregiver is giving out, the Lord is filling up. Yeah. And that is um, where we find our strength. And Crystal, I want to thank you because you're one of my caregivers. 
I what, love just it. a couple of hours a week, just you know, two hours on a Friday morning. But the the uh, the bond that we have is you you know exercise my legs, do my toileting routines, get me dressed, strap on my corset. I like to call you the corset queen. <laughs> I mean, as you do all these things for me, just those two little hours a week, it's just so wonderful. It's just a it binds us together and gives us a chance to deepen a relationship on a level that might not normally enjoy such depth. Mm. Were it a surface connection. That is so true. It is so true. Well, and I've told you this before that sometimes if I if you're traveling or I don't get to be with you, I, I really miss you. I think our times have been so rich because I get to care for you, but also because you're such an encouragement to me. You're always speaking words of life and we're praying together and you're singing and you're talking about the Lord. And and I think that's one of the things about caregiving is that you know, you have an opportunity to minister. You're really discipling yes. us. And that is a big part of being the person being cared for. That's why I just don't like to have one caregiver. I mean, I lived with my sister for 10 years, and she was my sole caregiver. Nobody else helped me but my sister. And if anyone wanted to help, I was scared to death. That mm. quote, they wouldn't do it like my sister, Jay. Right. But now... Man, I love to spread myself as thin as I most possibly can. <laughs> what? I don't know how many girls I can get just a couple of hours of your time a week to help out. And um, anybody can do that. You know, I have difficulty finding enough caregivers to help out. Uh, right now, I'm looking for more people to stay overnight with me to give Ken more breaks. And it's not easy uh, to find those people. But when you do, what a treasure those people are. And you don't have to rely on just one person. You can take a risk, a divine risk, mm. and uh, ask God to, you know, help you find people who can just help maybe just a little bit once a week. You know, everybody can at least give a little bit that much. That's right. So. That's right. Well, you know, as we close our time together, I really want to just minister, spend these last few minutes ministering to the weary caregiver. And if there are those who are listening who'd like to provide like a respite for a caregiver, what are some of the first steps that they should take to meet the need? Well, I think the, the lines of communication, uh, first of all, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, you might have it in your heart to want to help, but where do you go to, to find some opportunity? Oftentimes through the church, you know, sometimes you wouldn't know that there are people in your area that are in need of just somebody to step in to um, give a, a weary parent a, a, just a, a few minutes break just to be able to go down shop or uh, just get out and, and enjoy a few minutes by themselves. A church Take, a be, nap. Yeah. Take a nap. Yeah, a church might be a good resource. Nextdoor.com, um, the website where you can go on and just put your post your need out there to your neighbors. Find out a neighbor just who can provide a little bit of help. Um, often I tell people, uh, they say, well, I'd love to give my husband a break, but I don't know how to. And I say, well, tell, I'll tell you what, you, you can help arrange that. You don't have to depend on him or her to devise that time. You can create it. You can say, look, set me up with my book right here at the table or put me in front of the TV for an hour or uh, set me up at my computer, strap me in my wheelchair so I don't fall out, uh, make certain I've got a, uh, a glass of water with a straw so I can reach it and perhaps a phone uh, and I can tell Siri to call 911 if there's an emergency, whatever. Yeah. Crack the door if there's a fire. I can get out. I mean... Whatever, you arrange it so that your caregiver feels released mm. to go and just take an hour mm -hmm. to walk around the block, walk the dog, go down to Starbucks, meet with his buddies at the cigar shop, 
you know, go to the automotive store, whatever. It just, just you find a way to creatively make it happen. Mm-hmm. Take some responsibility. Um, think of your your spouse, your caregiver before yourself. Mm-hmm. Sure, your needs are great. Sure, it's going to be risky. Sure, you're going to feel like, what if I sneeze? What if my nose runs? Well, you know what? I have sat at many a table while my husband is going on walks, and and I'm sorry to say, but I'm licking my snot <laughs> because there's nobody there to wipe my nose. But that's okay. It's not the end of the world. You know, so find ways to just make certain your leg bag is emptied before that person leaves and uh, let them leave and take the risk uh, within, you know, safety measures and um, enjoy that you have done something to make it a little bit easier for your caregiver. And I think it's very important, and I know that Johnny does this, she spends time praying for me. And uh, that uh, knowledge goes a long ways for making me feel like uh, a little extra special. It's good. Well, I love you guys. I'm so glad that we could have this time together. Thank you for joining me on the podcast and sharing openly about your marriage and the importance of supporting the caregiver and the blessing of inviting God into each day as you share your life together. And I love the little book that you're offering. Thank you, Crystal, for doing that on the podcast. Absolutely, for better or for worse, by Ken Tata. Oh boy, thank it's you, a Crystal. Good one. <laughs> He's got a lot well, of good actually, stuff to there say. is some good stuff in there for, yeah. uh, for it, caregivers. Yeah. Yes, it's it excellent. It's encouraging. It's biblical. It's going to hit home to a lot of people. Yeah. So bless you guys. Thank you. Love thank you. you. I love chatting with Johnny and Ken. Through their years of marriage, they've discovered that caregiving was not really a detour, but rather the main road for their relationship. They aren't missing out on God's best for them. This is His best. Caregiving is a great sacrifice, but Johnny reminds us that anything you've poured out and given up, God will replenish and replace. He promises abundant grace and strength in this life and great reward in the life to come. If you're feeling challenged as a caregiver or the one being cared for, you don't have to feel alone. Visit johnnyandfriends.org slash podcast to send us a message or find a copy of For Better or For Worse, When Disability Challenges Your Marriage. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app and join me again next week. I'm your host, Crystal Keating, and this is the Johnny and Friends Ministry Podcast. Podcast.